Visit the Ford fans on a level six at the next Jazz game. Their free Papa Shot games, cornhole, foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. The Ford Fan Zone. All right, it's time to talk basketball now with our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease now through December 26th. Visit the Sprint store nearest to you. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, there's a question here that is bugging literally every Jazz fan. And if you give us the answer, you pass go, you get 200 bucks, and you advance to the lightning round, you win a new car. Fix the Utah Jazz bench. Can you help? What's wrong? Every time, not every time. Every time is not fair because they played well in Minnesota. But many of the nights, I'd say 80% of the time that the bench comes into the game, bad things happen. Bad things. Other teams go on runs. Can you fix it? Can you? I think Quinn's toyed with different combinations of guys at different times, and it doesn't seem like anything can be sustained positively. You know, I think the first... I think the first thing you do as a coach is you look at the possibility of, you know, switching lineups and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, for a long time, O'Neal, uh, you know, came off the bench. Now he's been starting. Uh, Ingles has uh, not shot the ball as, as well as I, I know that he would have liked. Conley, who is starting, has not shot it well. And, you know, you start looking at the last 10 games and it's, it's one of those things where there's just been, like you said, there's been inconsistency. They'll play well for stretches, and then defensively and offensively, they have some slippage. Uh, you know, they've got a situation right now where the next the next six games they're playing. I mean, they're playing a, a schedule other than the Heat and the Clippers, and, and both of those games were on the road and could be difficult places to play. But they've got a chance to win four or five games here in the next couple of weeks. And so, if there was ever going to be a time where you're playing some of the lower tier teams, do you take you know you take an opportunity maybe against uh, the Hawks or the Hornets, uh, Magic, and maybe tweak the lineup a little bit? But you know what? I don't I don't think any trades are being made real soon. So it's those guys that are playing; they're all pros. They know when they're playing well and when they're not playing well, and uh, it's just a matter of you know get, you just putting the time in, watching film, and and uh, I think the coaching staff just remaining positive. Uh, like I said, they're pros. They're, they're not, these aren't 17 and 18 year old young men. But but Green needs to to play better. Ingles needs to play better. Uh, certainly Connolly. You see signs of him maybe breaking out. But he probably has been the uh, the biggest surprise is just how long it's taken him to make this transition. And I mean he's a great. He's a really good player. He's a great human being. He's a team guy. But but he needs to play better. Yeah, that's the bottom line, and there's no question about that. I'm wondering, as I watch with Ingles in the starting lineup, in my mind, he's better off there because he can make players look better, but it's harder to make the role players look better. I think it's easier, obviously, to make the stars look better, and in turn, it's making him look better, so his value and I'm not an expert by any stretch, but I'm just looking at the games here, is that I think its value is decreased with reserves because he doesn't make them look as good, nor is he as good. So with that in mind, if he comes in the starting lineup as a permanent, then somebody else had to, has to go, and you're looking at it and thinking, all right, what can give me the best firepower coming off the bench? And I'm wondering if they should 
should consider Conley because then he could dominate the ball in that group. But do you think that gets sticky when you're dealing with a, you know, a veteran of his stature and being used to being in a starting lineup and now you might ask him to come off the bench? How would that work? You know what? I, I'm not so sure that he would. He, he'll probably, knowing him, he would embrace whatever he was, you know, asked to do because he's a team guy and, and they're paying him a lot of money. And I mean, he's just his character. He's a high character player and man. But you, you're right. I, I think the thing about Ingles is that he he's a complimentary player and the sum of the parts of that group with him in it, he knows exactly what his role is. I agree with you that he distributes the ball better. And in that group, too, he gets wide-open looks, whereas in, in you, you get that second-unit group, and sometimes they're playing against different lineups, and, and there's more defensive pressure. Um, I mean, if you switch angles, no kneel. You know, I, I, and, and I, I know they would never do this, but if, if you had angles in the starting lineup, and kept O'Neal there, which kind of looks like last year's team. And, uh, you know, what if Bogdanovich came off the bench and carried that team and uh, plays the same minutes, plays the same minutes, um, and is going to play 80% of his minutes with the starting group, but all of a sudden they have instant offense there. And that, and that may seem a little bit crazy, but I, I just don't think – I think Ingles is better starting, and I think <clears throat> O'Neal is not going to have an issue. <clears throat> not starting. He's shooting 46% from the field, 44% from the three. But O'Neal is, he's not the guy there that they're looking to get the ball to. You know, he's a complimentary player. He's, he's got decent numbers in terms of his percentage, but he has a different role there. So I don't think it really matters whether O'Neal starts. I think the fact is that they play 26 games <clears throat> and Ingles is has not as been as good as he's been the last two or three years. So why not, why not start him and, and make that adjustment? But if, if things get really crazy, and you know, I mean, let's not panic here. They're 15 and 11. <clears throat> They're in, you know, the sixth seed. I think Dallas without Doncic, maybe end up being the sixth seed two weeks from now, <laughs> and uh, Utah bumps up. I mean, where did we really think Utah was going to be? And we knew Denver was coming back. We knew Houston was coming back with a better team, maybe not showing it and demonstrating it every night on the floor, the Clippers and the Lakers. We always kind of thought Utah would be that fifth seed. So rather than maybe panicking, it's like they're kind of right where everybody thought they would be. Maybe not where everybody hoped they would be, but that's probably about where they belong in terms of talent and experience and all the things that go with it. So I don't, I don't think it's a major issue. I mean, I think by the end of the year, they're going to be probably – fourth or fifth place, uh, you know, they, their schedule softens a little bit in this next road trip, but I wouldn't make dramatic changes. I mean, I know bringing up McDonough sounds like a dramatic change, but you could do something like that for a, an experiment. You know, you go on the road and play maybe a lesser team or at home, especially when maybe you're not playing a top four or five team in the conference, and just see what it looks like again. But I, I, I wouldn't panic here. I, I think the schedule is going to soften up if if all of a sudden there's a seventh or eighth seed a month from now, then then yeah, I think you do have to maybe make some changes. Well, uh, I don't want to get too bogged down in the goals, but I think the goal um, inside the organization and with the fans weren't crazy. I mean, there's a certain amount of fan base like, number one, win the title! But I think that if they'd gotten to the three seed, then they'd have a decent chance to win in the second round and get to a conference final. And they haven't been anywhere that, near that, the that's conference doable. final. 
that's doable. Okay, so you know? and especially with Houston being somewhat dysfunctional, but Dallas has been kind of a surprise team, and and Denver seems to be finding themselves again. So those are the teams that they're going to be competing against for that third seed. So I'm curious, and you started to go this way with Bogdanovich, and I wondered, as a coach, if you did this, you know, you want your team to have a personality and a way of playing and and I know what Quinn I know what the Jazz look like offensively when they're playing the way Quinn wants them to move the movement off the ball and the way the ball moves there's a whole rhythm to it but the bench doesn't seem to be anywhere near mastering that no matter which one or two starters you put out there with them what about going with a group of five guys as a starter and a different group and letting the bench group play differently and if that means one-on-one play for Moutier one-on-one for Mitchell if he's out there or Bogdanovich, if he's out there, signing off on it and not doing all the stuff the starting unit does because I just don't know that the bench has the skill set. Is it too dangerous to have that those different personalities, or could that work? Well, here's the thing. I think what you do, especially when you go to the bench and you go to guys that maybe don't have that skill set to create their own shots, that you do, or or maybe like you said, where they're more comfortable running ISOs and doing those. I think you, I think all coaches will will do that during the course of a game. Is that they'll run different action or they'll run different quick hitters. They'll do things to the strengths of those teams rather than running the primary offense that just flows and moving without the ball. Because when you go to the bench, you, you don't you don't have that star power. You don't. I mean, you'll usually have one of the stars out there, but. I don't think that's a, an unreasonable idea at all. I think coaches do that anyway when they have to go to their bench. They're looking for two or three people, maybe two guys out there on the bench that they're trying to get shots for. And that may not look like what the starting group does, but it could it could be more ISO-oriented. It could be more ball-screen-oriented, and it could be shoot the ball quicker. Okay, let's take the first available really good shot with this group rather than waiting too late in the shot clock where pressure and percentages go down. Talk to you a little bit about the college. goes up, but the percentages go down. I got you. Yeah, talk to you about the college. I thought that Utah State and BYU was a phenomenal game. I actually came, I went to the game, I came away encouraged from uh, the game but for both teams because I look at Utah State and they're incorporating Kedem back in. You know, he had the injury, he's playing uh, only his second game back, so it's going to take obviously a few games for him to, to get uh, everything going. And then the Cougars won the game, and so obviously they got to feel good about it. Uh, as you look at both of these teams, I'm expecting both of them to be contenders in their conferences and contend for an NCAA bid. How about you? I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, I've watched Utah State in person the last couple of years because, and especially last year, I watched their team, and of course, I watched the game the other night on television. Um, I do like Utah State's team, and when Keta gets healthy, they're, they're a different team. He can protect the rim and he can score, um, and they're they're really solid. I, I didn't I didn't know exactly what the injury was uh, to the guard there for Utah State. He, I know he missed a game or what the circumstances were, but I, I love the flow of the game offensively for both of these teams. And for both of these teams, they not only they only not only move the ball well through ball screen action and everything, but they're moving without the ball at the same time. And they, they have just great synergy as both of these teams. They just play together. They all seem so connected. And it doesn't matter what they run. And there's a very high Q, high 
you know, the, the IQ of the basketball being played for both those teams, they make the decisions, they don't take a lot of bad shots, and they make you beat, you know, you, you, you got to beat them because they're not going to beat themselves. And, uh, and then they're just really solid defensively. And I think for BYU, you know, the, the addition of Barcello and Toulson, uh, Nixon playing better, TJ kind of playing within himself, and obviously Yoli is what he is, but and I'm coming back now, and it will have an influence and impact in every game. But this is the this is the most efficient and effective BYU team I've seen in three or four years. I mean, they they really are together, and uh, they seem to have a great energy. They're defending, but you know, and you do defend the ball better when you're scoring. I mean, there's energy. You, know, you go three, four, five possessions without scoring, it impacts the other end. But I do like both of these teams, and I do believe that both of these teams will be in the NC2A tournament. I think, you know, in the WCC, we, we know that Gonzaga is always going to be the team to beat. St. Mary's is really solid. And USF and Santa Clara are good teams, but th- this is a three-horse race. I believe that BYU can play well enough to beat both St. Mary's and Gonzaga at home. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. It doesn't happen very often. But I think if any group was going to do that in one year, beat Gonzaga and St. Mary's in the same year, this is probably the year that it would happen. Just because of all the experience, senior leadership, and really have, having each position really have really being solid in their top six or seven. I got so sick of watching BYU lose 85-81, 86-78 games that I just thought they had no business losing. And they just didn't seem to, for years, with different guys, they didn't seem to be invested in defending. This group does. Most of their games now are played below 70. When they give up more than 70 points, they're still basically a 500 team. But they're holding most teams yeah. under 70, which is why they got so many wins. Is it just the personality of these guys buying it in? Is it the urgency a new coach brings and all the guys are holed over? Like, I got to impress this guy? Is it the fact they're seniors and they want to go to the tourney and they know if they don't defend, they're not going to the NCAA tourney? Well, why are they defending so much better? I think it's a combination probably of a lot of those things. I think, I think first of all, the additions of Marcello and Toulson. I, I was just around them a little bit. I, I was there before few months ago before the season started and I just watched them. They were just having an open gym and I, I, I just popped in there to see what was going on and those five on five Saturday games just playing amongst themselves, no coaches around. There, there was a toughness and a competitiveness there that those two brought. I mean I, I, there weren't any fights or anything but it was like this, they were competitive. They were competitors and, and I, I think there's a certain toughness that those two bring to this team that that's kind of been missing, uh, and I, and I like I like the fact that uh, that they everybody just shares the ball, and and it's it doesn't get sticky anywhere. But there, I think you go back to number one for me is is just the mindset and the toughness of this group, and they are better defensively. They do have good size in their guard play. You know, they're six four, six five, so they have a little bit of length. I think Dalton Nixon. Uh, he has really come in and played it with a really high degree of confidence. He's another kid that's really tough and has fit in. And I think you ha- you do have a new coach and there's new energy. And I think I like what they're doing offensively. They're obviously sharing the ball, but there's a lot of ball screen action, but a lot of action away from the ball. They just the ball never stops, and it, it just uh, has made them. They bought into that, and then having Yoli come back gives you a different dimension now too in terms of being able to score inside and, and to rebound the ball. So I see both these teams 
going to the NC2A tournament. I, I, I just I think they'll both finish in the top two in their leagues. Uh, San Diego State is playing really well. You're all going to get a chance to see San Diego State uh, uh, in, in the Mountain West Conference play against Utah State. Uh, but I, I and they beat BYU. Didn't they beat BYU at home at BYU? I believe Correct. San yes. State did. So yes. But you're, you're looking at San Diego State and Utah State is probably the top two teams. Uh, the Mountain West has improved this year. They are, they are they are better at the top half, whereas the WCC, I think, is, is about what they've been. I think you can expect San Francisco, Santa Clara. I mean, Pacific has a really glossy record, considering they lost everybody, so we'll have that still to be seen. But this WCC is really still top-heavy. It's those top three teams. Yeah, after I got home, I uh, watched the second half of Gonzaga and Arizona down in Tucson. I remember Dave Rose years ago, we had him on. He said the thing about Gonzaga is they not only have the number one best big man in the league, they got the second best big man, and most time they have the third best big man. And then I look at these guys, they're just running them out there one after another, and they're beating Arizona. Arizona's such a young team, starting three freshmen, and uh, so you know they have an opportunity to get better. But still, you're going into Tucson, and you're winning that ball game, and they beat three Pac-12 teams away from Gonzaga. It looks like, here we go again with these guys. Yeah, they are. And having Tilly, it looks like maybe Tilly is finally healthy. And there's a lot of new names and new faces, and I've seen just glimpses of them on TV a little bit, so I'm not as familiar yet with them team. But once WCC plays, I'll, I'll become more familiar. But it, you're right, it's the same old story. I mean, they, they've done amazing things with transfers year in and year out that have impacted that program. But get, if Tilly is healthy and can play, he really stretches the defense, and he can rebound the ball, and he's played in big games. And... Uh, so him coming back and him getting healthy uh, makes him probably a pretty solid lock. But those are that's going to be a great game. I think the Gonzaga game at BYU, uh, I, I look at that as being a really, really good game. And I, I think if they shoot the ball well, obviously, which they usually do on their own, it, it could be a really uh, uh, a competitive game and a game that BYU could win. You know, St. Mary's, you know, the last time they played Gonzaga, <laughs> they kind of owned them. So – They'll have two more chances this year. We'll see what happens. So I like that race. And both, both leagues are going to be really competitive. And they're still a little bit top-heavy. Steve, we appreciate a few minutes, as always. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, guys. Have a, have a great day. Steve Cleveland, he's our basketball insider right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.